north of the 54th. It's good to have you back. I'm Garrett Brown. And I'm Preston Brown. And here with us, we have Jim and Pam Brown. We'd like to have them introduce themselves for us. Let Pam introduce herself first. <laughs> I haven't been here as long as Jim's been here. I came up when I was 20, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> I was born in the States. My last known address was like Seattle, and I just love it here. I love it here. This is my kind of, of country. I'm uh, Jim Brown. I moved up here 1969 with my parents, so I didn't have much choice but to come. <laughs> and I come, we moved from Moses Lake, Washington, and my dad was a farmer, and he came up here to farm. And he brought his family of eight children with him. And I'm the oldest of actually 10 kids. And it's been a life up here. Yeah. Pam, did you come up with your parents as well? No, no. I married Jim and he, <laughs> he sold me on this country, this area. And he just really wanted to stay here. So I thought, well... I'm not really tied to the West Coast. <laughs> I think we'll try it. And it was, it was definitely eye-opening and different. I went to Rick's College, BYU-Idaho now, to get my uh, MR degree. <laughs> There's just not very many single eligible young adult girls up in this country, members of the church. And so I had the opportunity to go down to school. There was some other people in Dawson Creek that were going. And so when I come back home off my mission, I went down there and, and I was actively pursuing for the first term uh, to get married and that didn't happen. So I decided to come back the second term and I said, this is enough. I'm just going to have fun. And within three weeks, we were engaged. <laughs> and the story continues from there. Were you also then going to uh, to Rick's at the time, Pam? Yes, I was. And that was the start of something wonderful. You know, Jim, I would like to hear your perspective on moving to the Fort St. John area when you were a young man with your parents. Would you be able to kind of tell that story? I don't know it very well. Okay. Yes, I can tell you. Um, my dad always loved to farm. He farmed in the, when we lived in Moses Lake. I remember even as a little kid, real small, three or four years old, he didn't have a farm then, but he always worked on farms. And I remember driving tractor for him. And I worked on a farm all my life up until we moved, you know, and even in Moses Lake. So one time my mom and dad come and said, found somebody to watch us kids in Moses Lake, and they went for a trip to Canada. And I thought, wow, well, who cares? So we were sitting there, and they come back. Uh, they were gone for just about a week, four or five days, almost a week, and come back. And then somehow I heard a rumbling of we're moving to Canada, to British Columbia. Well, I didn't even know where Canada was. Moses Lake is not that far from the Canadian border, but I had to go find an encyclopedia map and look at Fort St. John. And it was way, way, way. It was almost in Alaska, it seemed like. So that was fine. It, uh, you know, life rolled on. But uh, my first trip up here was with my father. 
uh, he had bought a combine, a newer combine, and had been doing custom combining around the Moses Lake area. And as I found out later, there was farming possibilities up here. There was land that could be purchased or uh, homesteaded almost, where you clear off so much land and the government sells it to you really cheap. And he was looking at that. So he knew there was custom combining. So we loaded his combine on a little old truck and it wasn't very big in the combine. Um, I guess you have to look up. It was a 510 Massey Ferguson combine. It's uh, compared to the combines today. It looks like a little tinker toy or whatever. It was not very big, but in that day, it was a big combine. And we loaded it on a truck and it was an older truck and it took the whole truck to put it on. It was sitting up on a flat deck and he made a trailer for the back end to put the header on to haul down. And so he had me come with him to help him and we took off and it took us about three days of driving to get to Fort St. John. And we had some adventures along the way. I mean, I remember driving up and going through the country. I mean, Moses Lake is kind of a desert uh, sagebrush country, but you move up into the southern BC and it's not much difference. And I thought, okay. And then finally we kept climbing north and came through Williams Lake area. Now all of a sudden we see trees. And I remember the windy road through lots of trees and and now we're getting almost like forest and it just keeps going that way. And we continued and pulled into Prince George and it was a pretty steep drop into Prince George. And I remember my dad kind of seemed worrying, oh, 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 what's up, stop, stop. We got down to the bottom of the hill, this really steep hill with the combine and header on, and he rolled to a stop and he got out, put it in gear and shut it off and said, we have no brakes. We'd come down a hill halfway with hardly any brakes. So he got his toolbox out and rebuilt the master cylinder for the brakes. And then we loaded up and kept going on our way. I remember, you know, he was going up and there's way scales along the way and he'd pull in and then they'd send him on his way. And he was all the way to Dawson Creek, just in Dawson Creek way scale. And they said, no, 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 you don't have this permit. You need to pay 20 bucks. And he was, I hadn't seen him ticked off very often, but he was ticked off with these guys. Come on, man. I drive through at least a dozen way scales and they never said I needed this permit. Why do I need it? Well, I don't know. You need to pay 20 bucks. So he finally paid his $20. And then we continued on up and uh, to Fort St. John. I remember the details are a little fuzzy, but I remember driving around Fort St. John a bit with him and uh, he must have had another vehicle or something or borrowed somebody's vehicle. He was looking for land and uh, there was this guy, all I remember, Nick, I don't know whether that was his first name or his last name, but he had a plane and I think he was a realtor guy selling property or stuff. So I remember getting up in the plane And I would have been like about 14 years old. We were flying around the country and up in the, it's it's hard to see it, but it just seemed like it went forever and ever the country. 
trees and trees and more trees. You could see a little farmland around Fort St. John. But And then as we uh, come back and landed, uh, I learned that my dad had already bought property and it was an acre out here past Cherry Lake near what they call mile 54 on Alaska Highway. And he had that there and had started clearing and was going to build a house. So we went out there and then we were with other people, Larry Peterson, Everett Callahan, and some Callahan boys were there. And we pitched a tent here on this uh, acre lot. It was just like all the other land around us. It was trees everywhere and, you know, kind of under bush. Well, these guys, especially Larry and Everett, and even my dad kept telling us guys that, hey, hey, you can sleep wherever you want, but watch careful for the bears. Watch out for the wildlife. Beware the bears. So we did. We watched, kind of watched. We went there. And as we were walking up from the bottom of the property a little bit, all of a sudden we heard some rustling and some movement in the bush. Now we were worried. So we ran back to the trailer was and the, our tents, our tents weren't up there yet, but, and said, hey, hey, there's something down there. We need to borrow a gun because there's a couple rifles around. They said, no, 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 you're not getting any guns from us. So we went and got some hatchets and knives and sharpened some big, big long sticks. And uh, we were going to go. There was about four of us. We were going to go see what was down there. So we started going down there and we were marching like a bunch of soldiers. We were going to take care of it if it was a bear even. We got just about 100 feet or 150 feet. And Larry Peterson stood up and said, no, no, guys, it's just me. And he had a black coat. He was trying to scare us, you know. (laughs) And so he said that I seen you guys coming and I knew I better uh, uh, let you know before you got charging or I might have been dead. You wouldn't have stopped. You would have got me. So that was uh, the main thing I remember. And it was just covered with, uh, there was hardly any, there's only about one other house on this whole area of the frontage road that we live on, maybe two houses on that whole stretch. The highway was a narrow highway. It wasn't even paved at this time, but you know, I don't ever remember going to Hudson Hope at that time, but later on when we moved up here, we ended up in Hudson Hope. But I went back down to Moses Lake with Everett Callahan. He had a pickup with a camper on the back and we rode down with him. He dropped me off and I went back to school and went to school for about a month and a half. And then all of a sudden it was, we're moving. So we loaded everything, my mom and kids, he loaded everything up in the vehicle. And my dad had his, brought the truck back down and we headed back to Canada. And we, we drove from there, it went up. I can't remember how many days it took us, at least two days for sure. But ended up in Hudson Hope is where we first settled for a month and a half. And were you engaged to Jim before you went north and Southeast Country? We were married. Oh, you were married? (laughs) We were married and I was pregnant with Sonia. Wow. So, yeah. Do you want to share what your first experience was like coming north? (laughs) 
as we're driving along, you know, it's a long road, driving past Calgary, and you could see all of the skid marks on the road. You knew that they were all accidents because of all the skid marks. And it was like, okay, well, you know, you need to pay attention when you drive around Canada because I guess the speed limit was higher before they they pulled it down to like 55 miles an hour. Yeah, probably. And it was in miles an hour when I first moved here. They didn't change it to kilometers, I don't think, until later. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so, Jim, he's doing really good. We we left at like 2 in the morning and we got to Fort St. John like 11 at night um, with a couple hours at the consulate so I could take out my landed immigrant and Jim drove all the way to like the BC border. And then he says, okay, now it's your turn. And I started driving and it's dark. I'm a little nervous because I know that there can be things like wildlife and things on the road. So I drive past this place and it's called the police coop. And I'm thinking, Oh, there must be a lot of police here. If they've got, you know, a police coop here. That only lasted for about half an hour, and then Jim told me no, that it was Pruscoopy, and that the LI was actually a U. (laughs) (laughs) And there was, you know, lots of trees and and beautiful land, but the closer we got to Fort St. John, the skinnier the trees got. And I'm thinking, are those trees or is it just bush? I wasn't too sure. Yeah, you could you could actually take and push over a tree. They were so skinny. I've never seen, you know, that kind of popular before. Grew up in the West Coast um, where there were big trees. Yeah. Not so big here. Uh, no. Did did you have to drive down the the Peace Valley? No. Jim woke okay. up before then and he pulled me off to the side of the road and he goes, I, there's something I want you to see. And so he pulled over and he says, you see the steamship <laughs> i'm thinking but what <laughs> but if you looked at it just right um taylor looked just like the steamship so he was the one that actually drove in through taylor and and up to fort st john through taylor because we came out to charlie lake jerry's parents were and they were excited to see us and it was late at night and i think everybody was awake <laughs> yeah They've changed the roads now, but that drive into Taylor and out was, uh, it's always pretty scary in the dark, pretty steep hill. Even the one through Kiskatna, that curved bridge down, winding down to the curved bridge and then winding back out. Yeah. I always remember that. That was, uh, the curved bridge was really nice and neat, but it was, it was quite a narrow, bumpy, rough road. When you moved together back to Fort St. John, when you were married, how did you make a living? Did you go through different jobs or did you sort of have a goal in mind? Well, I'd gone to college to, to learn how to weld. So when I'd come back, I wanted to go. It took me a month or two to get into welding school so that I could get my Canadian welding certificate so that I could weld. And for a while there, I went out in the farm, Zollinger's farm out by uh, Cecil Lake. And I worked out there. We worked out there for a couple months. 
they had a little tiny house trailer that you could sit on the toilet, wash your hands, and have a shower all at the same time. <laughs> but, <laughs> and our bedroom was wall to wall bed. Yeah, but it was and that it was ours, <laughs> so, not ours to keep, but that, that was our place to stay. So, and it was summer, so I mean, it it was nice. So I worked out there for a couple months. <laughs> The biggest mosquitoes you've ever seen, though, they were like three quarters of an inch long. Oh, man. <laughs> the mosquitoes are mutated. Yeah. They, are, they are not as thick and big now as they used to be, but they were big back then, yes. But then I got my welding certificate, and then I went to work welding at McCoy Brothers, mm-hmm. and I was welding for a few months, and then uh, Gordon Stratty, owner of Leach's Tires, said, hey, I got a business thing, that corner service station, the owner had been there for years and years, closing it down. He says, hey, you want to come be partnered with me and we'll run this Pappy's Corner? And we called it Highway Service. And so we pumped gas and had a mechanic and we run a steamer. It was an old, big old steamer that we tried to keep going and trucks would come. We had a big ramp out back. They'd pull up on the ramp and they'd stick the steamer in their tanker and just let it run for 10 or 15, 20 hours. So after a year of that, though, I uh, said, hey, there's no money in this. We didn't lose money, but I saw no future, no way of pumping gas and kind of rough building. Mechanics wouldn't want to work there. And I said, no, we should just close her down and just walk away with just about what we put into it. We'll walk away with what we put into it, but at least we won't lose anything. So, And so we did that. And then what happened is that an opening came up to buy the tire shop in Dawson Creek. So we moved down there for a couple of years. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. It was definitely a different part of the peace country and still beautiful and still wonderful. I think what sold me on this country more than anything was the people. For sure. They were just absolutely wonderful. I remember Jim's mom saying one day that she walked down to Charlie Lake to do something at the school, maybe pick a kid up or something. And she didn't get very far before somebody picked her up and then they gave her a ride back home later on so i that's that's the people in this country just totally awesome and caring and i guess everybody's in the same situation and and we support one another and i find that there's an old legend that is said to started from the beaver first nation in northern alberta and it says once you drink the water of the peace river you'll come back to it and we haven't even left it to come back yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, been here and it was uh, coming up here. Like when we first moved here, to, uh, my family, when I was a kid, we went to Hudson Hope and my dad was farming and he moved us all into a little cabin over in Hudson Hope, near Hudson Hope. There were three other families living there in house trailers and they're all members of the church. That corner became known as Mormon's Corner because of the Mormons that lived there. But we lived there. There was my mom and dad had a little room for themselves. And then there was eight of us in the kind of the living room with little aisles between the beds where we slept. Wow. And we lived that way for almost a month and a half, two months before we moved to Fort St. John in the house 
that my dad had started building, which was really just a basement with walls, a few kind of room dividers, but not much, a floor at the top covered with sawdust to keep kind of insulated it. And so we lived in that for, I was going to say, quite a few years. I grew up there. I would have to say even after I graduated, I was in high school. So another almost four to five years before we even got a top on the upstairs. But the walls would freeze up in the winters and my brothers would drive little cars around the roads. They made the ice on the walls. (laughs) (laughs) David, he tells all about that. We had a little wood stove in the middle that heated the whole basement, but no wood cut. So we had to go out and cut wood. We'd go out and chop down. There's lots of nice popular trees around, but they're all green. And we'd get what dry ones we could, and we'd cut them down, saw them up in the, had a big old buck saw, two of us would saw them up, and then split them, and then bring in all the green wood. And My dad had a five-gallon pail tied to the ceiling by the stove, and he put diesel fuel in there and a little hose that ran down into the stove, and we'd get the fire kind of going out of kindling, and then he'd turn the diesel fuel on and start burning better, and then we'd stack wood in there and then keep going and uh, keep diesel fuel going until the fire got hot enough to burn the greener wood and and it actually heated the house, and that's the way we lived for a couple of years. Oh, that's quite an endeavor to burn green wood. Pretty impressive. <laughs> I know it is. I have much more sympathy for my mom now. Like she's the one. <laughs> half the time we got up in the morning, and she had the fire going. You know, and I remember finally. You know, I was probably seventeen or so, and I I, I hate living with everybody else. And so I moved upstairs. Well, that just upstairs was fine in the summer or whatever. But in the wintertime, no heat, no nothing. So, you know, you get up and run downstairs at 30 below (laughs) and stand by the stove to get warm. And that was quite an adventure. So, Is is that home that you speak of, that's not the one that you currently live in in Charlie Lake, is it? That's the one I currently live in. Same same home. Yeah. Same house. That's the one my dad and if you can, you've been here, so you can visualize the basement. Basement only, undone, no finish, cement walls, because it doesn't look like that now. We finished it and added more to it. <laughs> but that's what we did. Ten people, ten kids, and uh, two adults, that's 12 of us living in that place. So if you ever think you're cramped, well... You don't know what cramp conditions are yet. <laughs> no. But yeah, it's this is the same house. We purchased it from my dad and mom there, I'd have to say about 1983, something like that, 83, 84. There we come back and they were traveling a little bit and living in town actually in an apartment. And so we rented it from them for a while and then fixed it up. And then I said, well, how much... You want to sell it? Yeah, yeah, we'll sell it. So we ended up buying it from them. This is also the same property, the one acre lot that you were talking about with the one acre lot, yeah. With the trees and the and the bear that you went hunting for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All the same. We haven't ventured very far from that. No, it's just incredible because I've lived there with you guys for a year and it's kind of hard for me to picture that 
that acre lot being so wooded and and grown over with bush yeah that's quite something that place has changed a lot yeah <laughs> but yeah a lot of the trees have been chopped down and grown again you know you know but most of it we made grass to play on and so that hasn't grown up but it, it used to be that way the, along the whole stretch neighbors if we don't mow the front lawn you can see trees trying to creep in and grow in there <laughs> <laughs> the aspen and poplar trees just yeah yep yeah yeah so pam did you stay home and take care of kids most of the time or did you work at all i didn't work until all of my kids were in school and then i went to school again and got a job and thoroughly enjoyed it yeah i worked in at charlie lake for a while at the school i worked at a bench like high school, the junior highs. Um, I worked all over in the school system and thoroughly loved it. Yeah. Is that what you did when you said you went back to school? You did for teaching or? Um, um, no, an educational assistant. Oh, okay. And um, a couple, I guess they pushed me toward deaf children and deaf blind children. So that was my, my little niche and I loved it. And some pretty fantastic kids. Yeah. So, Jim and Pam, what was it like raising your kids, especially for you, Jim? Because you've already been there one generation, and now you have a second generation. How was the differences between your childhood and their childhood? Well, the big difference was when we were living here as kids, they made us walk down to where the mailboxes are away, I don't know, a few hundred yards or so to catch the bus. When my kids were here, we had the most kids, so they actually drove up in front of the house. So that was the best part. <laughs> I could sit here and there's the bus and they'd honk the horn and the kids and run out of the door and go, you know. No, I, I don't know. It was travel was a lot nicer and conveniences. I mean, this house was a little rough to live in, but it was still way we had bedrooms upstairs and bedrooms downstairs so we had more room it was just much more modern convenience now that everybody's gone everything's fixed up and nice and even more room we have a big deck I don't think you've been here for a while but we got a big uh, deck out back you know which is nice to sit in and sit on and you know kind of look over the lake a little bit and the trees are all beautiful and lovely in the summertime and I built it. Basically, it's a workshop because underneath is all a big workshop for woodworking and working on things down there. So, you know, that's there now, but we never had that growing up or my kids. So (laughs) the biggest addition, the biggest change was when we built onto the side of the house and we actually built on a mudroom. And that's, you know, almost a necessity in this area because of all of the mud. Yes. People ask us, you know, how can you guys take your shoes off when you come to our house? Well, it's tradition because I would kill any kid that walked through the house with muddy shoes. <laughs> so it was just easier to say we're just taking our shoes off even in the summertime, you know, just to keep all the mud and the mess, you know, to a corner. So it's nice to have a mud room in which everybody can sit down, take their shoes off and their coats off and, you know, put them away. Like that ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
When I was growing up, all we had was one door. It was kind of in the living room for a while, but eventually we built so we could come into the side where the kitchen was. But we had shoes stacked there, coats, everything all crammed into where our kitchen and cupboards are now. So it's different. But talking to that mud, I guess the, the thing is, it's it, mud in a piece is totally different than mud anywhere I've seen in the country. I mean, it grows on you, literally. <laughs> you walk along and you grow three or four H's. You put your hand in it, it sticks, it just sticks to you. And it is really, really slick. It just, it's just like grease on anything. So, uh, how yeah. many shoes have you lost in the, in the mud? <laughs> There's a reason they're called gum boots. <laughs> just like walking gum. <laughs> I agree. It's very sticky, but it's very slippery. And it's just sort of like, how can a mud be so sticky and so slippery at the same time? Yeah. I'm guessing that you've seen a lot of mud because you're in the tire business. So how did you end up in the tire business? Like you were in the tire business, you were saying in Dawson Creek. And then how did you end up in tires back in Fort St. John? Well, I started, the, see, when we first come up here, my first job was working for Gordon Stratty, but he had a farm out by Beaton Park. And I'd go out and farm for him. Then from then it was, well, you know, farming's over, you know, I need some walls painted in the tire shop. So I come painted wall, and then off, then it moved to tire machines. And so I always worked and had ample work working in the tire shop. So I just kept at it because you could make a fairly decent money. It's much better than flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or anything like that. You make better money and better hours. And he always treated me good to allow me to go play basketball and other things I wanted to do. So I kept working at tires. And when I come back from welding and worked in welding shop, then, like you said, I went to Dawson Creek. And uh, that venture didn't turn out because it was in the 1980s. And we call it the Deep Depression because it, it, the whole country just shut down because of uh, politics from the East, shut our oil research and discovery and all that, all these companies, there's lots of companies that shut down. And so we got caught just as that was starting. We bought into tire shop in Dawson. And then uh, after a couple of years, we, we bought too big because hoping it would go big and it didn't. So once that left and we came back to Fort St. John, it was slow enough. There wasn't really a job to go back to work at the tire shop. So I uh, set up a vulcanizing shop, taking trees and big tires and you cut them out and fill them back with rubber and boots and uh, stuff and cook it all together. So I kind of run that part time and part time at tire shop and worked at that for a couple of years. And then vulcanizing kind of died out a bit and I was working full-time we needed a mechanic to do front-end alignments and stuff and he was getting ready to leave so I started that I went to school to get my suspension and brake certificate and then I started doing wheel alignments and I did that for a few years and it just kind of involved into they got another mechanic and I kind of involved into the front office and, and sales and other working and, and I enjoyed it. I kept doing it. I keep telling them I'm not an oh, expert at anything really, but I've done just about every aspect of a tire shop 
a bookkeeper left and we couldn't find a bookkeeper. So I went in the back and did books for six or eight months. So I did that. I've done just all things and I just have enjoyed it because it's something different every day. There's a different situation or a problem. It's not like just nailing two boards together and passing it on. It's something different every day. And lots of, most time people are fun to deal with, but there's others not, but you can deal with that. It's in any business. (laughs) He's about done every little piece of scouting as well. Yeah. He's done beavers and cubs and scouts and, I don't know, you ever do ventures? Uh, no, but I help with ventures and I was a district commissioner here and, you know, yeah. so, but it just, I enjoyed it because it did give me an opportunity to do these things, you know, to be involved heavy with scouts. Yeah. I coached, you know, elementary school teams for quite a few years, like I, I don't know how many, probably seven or eight or nine, maybe 10 years of working with elementary kids, basketball, soccer teams that I was able to work with and coach with them, which if I didn't have the job I had, you know, most places it's really tough unless you're a school teacher to do that. Yeah. But this job gave me the opportunity to do it. And so yeah. I enjoyed it. Like you were saying, it was good hours. You compared that just a moment ago to flipping burgers. Like a fast food place is going to be open super early and stay up super late. But a tire shop is mostly nine to five. And if you are the guy on call, then you have to be on call. But yeah. you're not on call anymore because you're in charge. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the other thing is they worked with me, you know, in order to coach, I'd have to take a couple hours off in the afternoon. So we would open at seven yeah. or eight. So I go in at eight and work until uh, two and then take a couple hours off and come back from five to six. There's my eight hours a day, you see. Yep. So they worked with me, allowed me to do that. And it was good. And I enjoyed the people I was working with. So, yeah. And even though like I only worked with you in a tire shop for a year, but you're right. Like even if you're pulling things out of tires because somebody drove over something, it's a new day. You never know what new thing somebody's going to run over and you're going to find a, is it a screw today? Is it a key? Is it a hook? You never know what kind of exciting sometimes even though it's the same process the same sort of thing but people manage to break tires in so many different ways it's always sort of exciting to see what they've done it is and i've seen just about everything i've seen an axe head <laughs> the one that scared me the most was a live bullet holy cow it still had its primer and shell and powder in it and i you know we were starting to dig around i said wait a minute let's let's look at this closer ah, nah, 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 nah. you know we we don't know what would have happened, but you know, you're pounding away with a probe and hit that primer. <laughs> now you got an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Any other questions, Preston? I don't think I have any immediate questions. You got something on your list you sent me. Any memorable weather events or seasons? Yeah. What's the saying? If you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. Yeah. I have seen it go from like 15 or 20 above Celsius to 10 below in about half an hour. It just wham. In the old days before they put the dams on the river, the the river used to freeze enough that they drive trucks up the Peace River for freight, like haul freight up and down the Peace towards Hudson Hope or Chetwin, you know, that way they'd use the Peace as a road. And I remember one time 
they had a big, huge truck and they had a big cat on it and they were headed up the piece down, not too far from the Taylor Bridge. They were headed up north on the piece and a back wheel broke off into the ice and the truck kind of dropped down into the water. Well, they happened to be in kind of the middle of the river, but there was a sandbar there. So that's no problem. So they backed the cat off of the truck into the river. And of course it broke through, but it's sandbar. So that's not bad. They got the truck out. And once it was, the cat was off, then they could continue on and go. So they said, well, what are we going to do with the cat? So they oh, we'll just, it's not that deep. We'll just turn and drive it to shore. Well, now they took and heading to shore and they drove off the sandbar. You can drive a diesel engine underwater as long as you just get in the air. So they cut the fan belts and kept going and going and going until the water was up even ready to go over their intake pipes. So they had to shut it down. Now the river freezes again. Now they have to get the cat out of the frozen river. <laughs> so they spent three days getting this thing out with all kinds of winch trucks on the other end, about four or five big winch trucks all chained and tied together, trying to pull this cat out because they couldn't drive it anymore. Now they had to pull it out. That was quite a story. I, I was trying to find some information on it, but I, I, I just remember driving by a couple of times and seeing them working there and hearing stories about it. It was, <laughs> it was quite the ordeal to get that all out of there and kind of exciting around town. Have you guys traveled around in the peace country and driven on any ice bridges? We drove on Charlie Lake <laughs> <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. We used to, all the time, I, you know, I tell Pam about, well, we had the act, uh, ward activities, the branch activities, and go out and uh, pull our little car. We had a little Ford Fiesta, a little front-wheel drive. And we went out there and hooked a tube on the back and drove where the snow wasn't too deep. And we'd pull everybody on the, the lake there tubing because it was kind of before quads. And there were snow machines, but nobody really had any of them when we were at our party. But that was kind of fun. And then the other one time we were headed home, because ah, they set up kind of a racetrack for cars, mostly bikes like bike racing and they had one down at this end the Charlie Lake end of the lake there and she said ah we were driving home in the pickup and she said let's go out there and try it <laughs> I said no no I don't think so but I got home and I said well you still want to go on that drive on that yeah yeah I said well I'm not going to take the pickup because if it falls through I'm in big trouble so we got our van and went back down there with our van and <laughs> timed ourselves on how quick we could make it around the, the thing and had fun chasing around on the lake. That's pretty cool. Because they have graders. So lots of time they have a grader to clean it off so that they clean the snow off. And they do high on ice. High on ice. Yeah, and they used to do Klondike. No, it wasn't Klondike. Muckluck was days. Muckluck days they used to do down at the lake. Yeah. So They do public skating on the lake too? Occasionally. Occasionally. Actually, they, it's the Crystal Cup is called a hockey, they have a hockey tournament that they set up about four or five rinks there and they keep them fairly clean and they hockey tournament there with a couple big tented uh, places to keep warm and change. And they run that as about a 
long weekend almost they start on a friday night and go saturday and sunday and that's kind of neat cool i remember hearing stories about snow golf is that a real thing i haven't seen it for a long time but they used to have snow golf and i never played it but some of it was set up with a bigger bright ball that they'd set up different spots where you know you had to get it up in the air and try and get it almost like frisbee golf oh, okay okay that same thing you know instead of up high but i mean they you use the big bright ball and use big clubs to try and bat it around <laughs> okay but that's about all they used to have dog sled races I, we haven't seen that for quite a while but dog sled races up and down the lake and well they used to have one between fort st john to fort nelson they had a, a big one yeah I haven't seen that type of stuff for a long time. Because of population and roads or environment, I don't know all of it. And not as many dog racers as there used to be. That's, but they used to have that. We used to be a fairly big event. That's like 400 kilometers, right? From Fort St. John to Fort Nelson? Yes. I'm not sure how far. They, there is actually a trail that goes up there. Not on the road they didn't do it, but... There is a trail up there, and I, I'm not sure exactly how it goes. It might even be a little further than that because the trail would wind around different things. <laughs> I was thinking the trail might be a little straighter than the old Alaska <laughs> Highway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that good old, you heard that saying, right? No. Alaska Highway, winding in and winding out, fills my mind with serious doubt as to the lout who built this route was going to hell or coming out. <laughs> Very clever. Yeah, they have straightened it out a bit more over the years, haven't they? Oh, they have. <laughs> it's actually, you know, you can make Fort Nelson in easily, you know, not really, but you can make Fort Nelson in three and a half hours now. And it used to, I remember I went up there when I was 18, before my mission, 18 years old, and it took me, six or seven hours to drive it and trucks were taking 12 to get up there oh man and the damage occurred to the car was just you yeah know, you had wonder if it was worth it or not and that's another thing changed i mean when i first moved here working at a tire shop when i was you know people would come and drive the alaska highway well they had big greens in front of their windshield and lights they had extra jerry cans you know, four-wheel drives and, you know, big cars uh, driving up and, you know, it, it, they drive up there and it was only paved or kind of, if you call it pavement, to about mile 80. And after that, it was all either dirt or kind of chip rock a little bit, but it was a rough tour. But over the years, now you see any type of vehicle going up there. I haven't seen a Lamborghini. I haven't seen a Lamborghini, but you know, real fancy Cadillacs and you know other sports cars going up there. You know, everybody goes up there now with it. It's not quite as hard, and still a long ways. But you guys have driven that way, way up there to the where did you go? Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay. Prudhoe Bay. Okay. Yeah, that what you're saying that the old Alaska Highway. It sounds a bit like driving from Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay or Dead Horse. Yeah. What do you want to call it? But. Yeah. Where you got to make sure you take extra gas and make sure you probably got a second spare tire. Yeah. And never know when the pavement's yeah. going to end. <laughs> yeah. My wife's brother, he drove his Audi from Kansas City to Alaska and back. 
he said he even helped tow a guy out of the ditch with his outing. <laughs> yeah, it's much different now. Although, as I think is, is good advice, anybody who does drive the Alaska Highway, the most dangerous part is tourists who are driving RVs who aren't used to driving RVs. <laughs> yeah. You got people driving big, wide RVs, looking at the beautiful scenery and not watching the road. We had a family, relative family, basically, who had cycled from Alaska and they were going to Dawson Creek and they stopped and they were looking for a place to stay. They ended up coming for dinner at our place one Sunday and listened to their story. They had been on the road for two months, hadn't they? Almost two months or a month and a half. Bicycles, you know. And they were young. They were from, what, eight-year-old up to, you know, a grandmother, you know. Wow. And they were all... They the, one wheeled vehicle and the rest were bikes. And so they would drive the wheeled vehicle and get out and ride their bikes and meet up. And then they'd all go together. But, you know, so they were... And there was no... The, the oldest male was an 18-year-old, one of their sons. So, I mean, there was no dads and stuff. They were, this was just a couple sisters that got together and said, let's, let's do this. They were from. One was from New Orleans. Yeah. Down in in Southern States, but it was great. And they said the scariest thing of the whole trip was not the bears nor the traffic. It was a herd of Buffalo. Oh, Oh, woodland Buffalo. Big old Buffalo. Cause them guys and Buffalo don't care about nothing. No. And they're pretty big sometimes. Because they don't really get hunted. So, yeah. yeah. You know, what happened is that they come out and come along and they were following a big semi-truck. And it wasn't bad, but the truck kind of finally got ahead of them. And then they were all just enclosed around them. And it was a pretty scary thing, they said. So, <laughs> but that was neat. And, you know, you just... I don't quite see as many, but there, that used to be a big thing for riding a bicycle up to Alaska or down from Alaska. I don't see as many on the road anymore. But Not the wild horses. Yeah, and wild horses on the road as many. Okay, so back to the weather. The dirtiest cars. One of the first things I noticed from we moved here was how dirty the cars were yeah, yeah. some of the cars they only had a you know maybe 10 inches where the windshield wiper would go they were that kind of covered in just thick dirt uh, just normal dirty cars and i think it some of it stems back from um the old wives tales superstitions um, that if you wash your car then it's going to rain the next day and, and it'll all be for naught and i think that uh, still holds true for fort st john if you come up from anywhere else you'll notice that everybody's driving a dirty car you see a few really nice pristine cars but for the most part all of us drive mud colored cars <laughs> You see a clean car. It's like cows lying down in the field. You know, it's going to rain in a couple hours. <laughs> it took me a long time to figure it out, but I figured it out that all these trucks, all these big trucks and everything travel out in the bush and pick up all, you know, they all get muddy and dirty. And then they come in and it falls off on a, you know, you, you think, how can it be so muddy? Everything's paved around here. But it's all brought in from the bush and falls off, and then it rains, and then everybody's muddy, you know. Yeah, it's different here in Toronto. They use 
an incredible amount of salt on the roads in the wintertime because it doesn't get so cold that the salt becomes ineffective. But instead of being like a, a mud color, everybody has this silty gray and it gets everywhere and it's nasty. And sometimes I'd prefer them, but this eats your car right up. <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask, have you been sightseeing around in the peace country in your time there? I mean, you've been there a while. What sort of sights have you seen? We don't have to go far to see the the northern lights. In fact, I they had a really beautiful display and you know, I was too busy to even notice they were there. And so, you know, the next few weeks I've been kind of looking outside to see a beautiful and bright and yeah, they don't always come out, but when they come out, uh, it's always cool to see them. And unless you're so used to them that you don't pay attention to them anymore. I remember when I first moved up, my dad was a combining, custom combining, and it was winter time because it had been a wet fall so they were combining grain and it was like 20 degrees below zero, everything. It didn't gum up or anything that the fans blew the frost off and just like you were normal combining, except the grain was frozen. But I remember one night or a couple nights we were combining. I was helping them combine. The northern lights were so bright, you could almost see your shadow. We didn't need lights. It was just... They were dancing clear across the sky all night. And it kind of, uh, you know, nowadays I see Northern Light. Oh, wow. It's not like what I remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they they can be pretty. That was a night I remember a couple nights that it was just as bright as could be and colorful and beautiful. It just went from white to different colors and then, it was a great experience to be out there. Normally, I wouldn't be up at three o'clock in the morning helping run a combine, but I was then, and that's when they come. So, so there's not a lot of tourist attractions up here. Right. We've been to the dam, and we've been through it a few times. We've been to, you know, different parks along the way, but there's not a lot of, you know... Canusa Falls, I'd like to go see that again. We haven't been there for a long time. But we keep talking about it. I mean, Liard Hot Springs, we're going to, I think, going to make that there one of these days, maybe. I keep thinking about it. It's only a six and a half hour drive from here. So, you know, you think, oh, that's a long ways. Well, I'm in Edmonton in six and a half hours. So why would I go north? (laughs) But there's some, it's, They've made it and made it pretty up there. And there's neat things. I found some like with cubs when I was teaching cubs. Every year we'd take and go and, and go down to Bear Flats where, what is it, Alexander McKenzie writes in his journal about Bear Flats, about the elk and the bears and other things on, uh, you know, we sit there and look at it and see the animals that lots of times in the fields there. And try and visualize these guys because they had a canoe in Taylor for the longest time. That's the kind of canoe these guys would paddle. And the boys would say, man, their arms must have been strong to paddle upstream. <laughs> yeah, they weren't paddling downstream. They were paddling these things upstream with all their food and supplies. So yeah. it was neat looking at that stuff. And it's the Peace River. It's beautiful drive along there. And you guys haven't been up here for a while, but they're building that new Sightsee Dam. But what they've done for the road between here and Hudson Hope 
it'll be like a 35, 40 minute drive before long. Holy cow. If you straighten the roads out and put a bridge clear across the halfway from one side to the other. Oh, wow. And, and Lynx Creek, where you used to go into Hudson Hope, and that's all one bridge across there, clear to, it's amazing what they've done, you know. When you ever get here again and drive across that, you're going to go, wow, that's, I don't even recognize this place. Yeah. I've seen some statements that I traced back to a publication in the Prince George newspaper in like 1915, where they talk about how the Peace River is one of the only rivers that cuts through the Rockies. So if you look closely at a map, um, you can see that the Fraser River coming out in the Vancouver area, you can sort of follow the Fraser River up. Not that you really would. The canyons and gorges there are monstrous and dangerous, but the river basically goes all the way up towards Prince George. And then there's like um, two or 300 meters with not very much of a rise and fall where you go from the Fraser River and then you catch some um, tributaries of the Peace River. And then from there, you can go all the way back down through through the Rockies and into Alberta and the north into, into Northwest Territories. The Peace River is like major watershed way for getting from the west side of the Rockies to the east or, or from the east to the west. And that's what they were looking for. Alexander Mackenzie was looking yeah, for a pathway yeah. to the Pacific. Yep. Yeah, and it seems like the Peace River, like if you look at elevation maps, the Peace River is one of the ones that seems to cut through the best. Because when you go down yeah. towards like an Okanagan region in southern Alberta and southern BC, yeah. those mountains are steep. And the valleys are narrow and there's not much of a passage, but the wide open countryside of the, the Peace region is much more passable. You just got to go in the summer. You, can't, you don't want to get trapped there in the winter when you're just got a tent and no food. Exactly. Yeah. Have you been to Kakwa Falls down in the Two Lakes region and sort of just inside the, the Alberta side of the Peace country? I have not, no. We've been up around Williston Lake a little bit, Dunleavy Inlet and some of that stuff up there. When I was doing tire work, we've been, I've been all over the, Pam hasn't, but on service calls way out, it's amazing country. You can drive along on an oil field road and all of a sudden come across the camp with two or 300 people in it, you know, it's just uh, amazing country. There's some neat sites out there, but it's just like a lot of people, you know home well you just become accustomed to it don't really look at the beauty that's around here that's hard to see and it because you just become well that's yeah i see that all the time but they're definitely a beauty to the peace river and uh both ways both north and south that it draws a lot of people to come see it so as we come to a close do you want to share with us how your feelings for the peace country have changed over the years from your first impressions to kind of what you were saying, where it's sort of just home now, you sort of just see it. When I first got here, I mean, I believe it or not, I met people from Fort St. John that had been here and they told me about it. And I didn't even think about it because I, you know, didn't know anybody in Fort St. John. Being here and seeing, you know, gravel roads, all the town was gravel roads, except for maybe two or three of them. And uh, they kept digging them <laughs> and relaying that pavement down every year in the same spots. <laughs> yeah. And it was two main streets and wonderful people. I mean, from Seattle, I would drive on the buses and I really didn't ever talk to the people sitting next to me usually because I didn't know who they were. And it was kind of a privacy thing to, you know, being here in Fort St. John and buying groceries and everybody just 
talking to you while you were in line and, you know, helping you along. Just wonderful people. And now there are so many people here that that's not quite the case anymore. But it's definitely fun to see how Fort St. John has boomed out and the different nationalities of people that live here and to get to know them. It makes it kind of fun when you say, hey, where are you from? And, you know, they'll say India or Mexico or the Philippines or, you know, wherever they could be from. It's kind of fun because they're experiencing this for like their first years. And it's like, yeah, kind of fun to see them go through it. And I would say uh, when I come here, it was because... This is where I had to come. I had no choice. But, you know, I've had opportunities to go other places. Even when I was in university, it was college there. You know, I had a job offer here. Stay here and work for me. I'll, whatever you want. I just want you to work for me, you know. And no, I don't think so. And a lot of it points back to our beliefs and our religion, being members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's a part of our lives, and I've seen it grow from a little branch of we first started going of like 30 to 40 people, grow as big as having two wards of over 130 people in each, and then back down smaller again, but it's just, that's been part of it to be able to see people sacrifice and work to build a building. I remember when the we met in all kinds of rented halls and different things. And especially this year, we're studying the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, you see about these people, uh, you know, sacrificing so they can build. I mean, for us nowadays, uh, you know, if they were going to put a chapel up, well, it just goes up. They don't come around and saying, well, you guys need to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in order for you to afford that. And, you know, you want a temple? Well, we need to have you kick in a couple thousand dollars a year to help build a temple and we don't have that and it was I remember growing up that opportunity and it's just never left of having to sacrifice and look at the things that have built because of the, the sacrifice of the people and it's just great to be part of it still whether we ever leave that's hard to say it's looking to become easier because the warmth, uh, <laughs> you crave the warmth a little more sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, it's been a, a lifetime of meeting people and associating with them and friendships and sacrifices and other things. And it, it is, it's just like a family. You grow closer the more you work with and uh, sacrifice for each other. And it just becomes a piece of you and that's what the piece has become for us because as I look at it, you know, we're, we're talking 50, going on 52 years now or so that I've been here. You will speak for yourself. I know. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> but she's not that far behind either. <laughs> you know, wow, well, we've been married 40 don't ask me. You'll have to ask her. But uh, the peace and uh, there is differences, that's for sure. There's a difference between Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, and Grand Prairie, kind of Peace River. But the people, you know, in the state, you're mainly in the peace country. 
this Fort St. John has been a kind of a go get and moving town because of the oil patch. It's got to be done now, 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 now. That's new. Dawson is a farming community and it's, you know, a little more laid back and that's, well, we don't need it right now. We can, you know, get by and make this work and it's different types of people, but all of them together make a great country. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us, Jimmy Kang. It's great to hear your sides of the story. Well, thank you for inviting us. Yeah. Hopefully we made some sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did. Hopefully we'll see you soon. You bet. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, you take care.